Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we're able to continue to study His words and His holy commandments. Now, we are in the process of studying the book of Revelation, and we are at that point where, where we are discussing the sixth trumpet, which is, of course, nearing the end of the ages. And so let's go ahead and took, take a look at the previous trumpet fulfillments. Uh, in our previous studies, we have uncovered uh, that 1914 was the fulfillment of trumpet number one, World War I. 1939 was the fulfillment of trumpet number two, World War II. 1986, trumpet three, the Chernobyl or Wormwood explosion, 2000. Uh, trumpet four, global dimming. And 2010, trumpet five, the deep water horizon oil spill. So what you notice concerning the pattern of destruction is mankind's ability to destroy or harm the earth and each other. And so the Bible also teaches us that the last three trumpets are also called woes. So trumpet five is the first woe, trumpet six is the second woe, and trumpet seven is the third woe. And we studied previously in our last episode that trumpet number five also released the spirit of destruction, Abaddon, Apollyon. And so we are not surprised that the influence of demons and devils were going to experience destruction. We're going to see people possessed, leaders of nations doing unkind things to their fellow human beings. And so we're going to now listen to what the Bible teaches concerning the event of trumpet number six. Take note, trumpet number seven, the third wall. Well, that is the Harpazo event. That's when we get to meet our Savior and be with him forevermore. And so trumpet six, when this is all said and done, we can expect that our King Yahusha can come at any time. So let's read Revelation 9, 13 and 14. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice from a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It is said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And so when the sixth angel sounds his trumpet or the sixth trumpet, the Bible says there's going to be a release of the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And so there's going to be an event that centers around the area near the river Euphrates. And what's going to happen after the four angels are unbound? In 15 or 16, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So when these angels are released, somehow they're going to influence the course of events, leading to a slaughter of a third of mankind. And this slaughtering of a third of mankind will involve an army that numbers 200 million. Because of the words used, army, 200 million, horses, slaughtering and killing, we can, we can reasonably conclude that this event might be some kind of war, right? Because it mentions army, it mentions 200 million. And so perhaps this event is speaking about war. We're gonna look at that later on. And then what happens, what kind of weapons will be used in this war? What will be involved in the killing of a third of mankind? 
Verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And so horses are in the vision of the Apostle John, but these are not ordinary uh, horses. Of course, they were breastplates, which again suggests that this is some kind of battle, some kind of war. And how will these horses bring about the slaughtering of many people? Let's read. Uh, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Interesting choice of imagery that the Apostle John employs in this passage. So it tells us the kind of weaponry that's going to be used in this warfare. Now, what is the purpose of Yahuwah in permitting this kind of destruction to happen upon the face of the earth? Revelation 9, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. So that was the purpose and intent of Yahuwah in permitting these destructive events to take, to take place. It is to cause people uh, to repent of their idolatries and their immorality. And so we want to know now, this event, which is called the Sixth Trumpet event, has this been fulfilled already? Well, what could this event be? Personally, I don't think this event has already happened. And what is this event in the first place? We've already kind of suggested it could be war. And if it's war, well, if it's going to be the Sixth Trumpet, it should trump the war events of the First World War and the Second World War. If it's going to be another war, and it's a war that is not worldwide in scope, then how could it be a six-trumpet event? And so we believe it is some kind of war, but for it to be a six-trumpet event, because this is like the major thing, everything is climaxing toward this kind of destruction. And so we believe it's some kind of war, which will be worldwide in scope, with weapons that will be used that will indeed bring vast destruction upon the face of the earth. And so let's go ahead and look very closely and analyze the contents of the passages that we have just read. So we read to you Revelation 9, 13 to 14, and all the way to its conclusion, 9:21. And let's go ahead and look at it uh, piece by piece. Let's go back to Revelation 9, 13 and 14. It mentions at the sound of the trumpet, there's going to be the release of the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. Of course, we've studied before that angels are celestial beings, fallen celestial beings, and their purpose is to wreak havoc on the face of the earth, and they are led by their commander, uh, Shatan. So the mention of four angels suggests that it will be a spiritually evil event that, it, that is also expressed as a physical event, much like trumpet number five. And so this event is going to be manifested physically, causing many kinds of destructions that we're going to study 
later on. Now, what is the central place or location of this event? It mentions the great river Euphrates. Now, it doesn't mean that this event is going to only take place in Euphrates. It could be that that's the main, the center and or center point and the subject of what is going to be happening during this sixth event or the sixth trumpet event. When we look at Euphrates, there's a map. You notice there are certain nations that kind of jump out at you. You got Turkey, you got Syria, you got Iraq, right? And you got, of course, Israel to the west right there along uh, at the west side. And so we have these nations and Euphrates River, it kind of looks like many nations are going to be attacking Israel. And it's possible that this event could be related to the Gog Magog event mentioned in Ezekiel that we've studied, which involves Russia uh, from the north. And so this could be an event that kind of integrates all these nations who hate Israel. And this could be an attack on the land of Israel so, uh, that is, surround, that is uh, associated with the Euphrates River. We don't know for certain. We have to wait until it's fulfilled before we can make any kind of conclusions. However, what is concerning is what is going to be used in this event. And so why do we believe this event is going to be a war? Because it mentions the army of horsemen, and it's a vast army composed of 200 million horsemen, 200 million uh, people. Now, that's a lot of people. I don't know if any of you can conceive of a number that big. I mean, how can you fill like the area around the Euphrates River and assemble together 200 million horsemen? That indeed is a big problem. So let's go ahead and take a look at that number, 200 million. I mean, does it really say 200 million? Does it represent some other number? And so it's interesting that we can do things like going to the Greek and looking at how they obtain the figure 200 million. Let's go to the Blue Letter Bible and look at the phrase 200 million. In the uh, Greek, it's actually not 200 million, but 2,000,000, right? And so it says 200 on the left side, and that is the Greek word 1417bio. And what does that mean? Simply means two. And so we got two. But you notice what's missing? It doesn't mention 100, right? It doesn't say uh, 200. It just says two. The two, the twain. It's a primary numeral. So when we go back and look at 200,000, 000, it actually should say 2,000, 1,000. Now, when we look at 1,000 in the English and look at the Greek word, 3461, myriad, myrias, what do we find? Well, let's look at the Greek word. It means 10,000, right? Not 1,000, but 10,000. And so what we actually find or have is 2,000, 1,000, which really should mean 2, 10,000, 10,000. And so we take out the 100 and get 2, 10,000, 10,000. Now, what does that mean? 2, 10,000, 10,000. Now, there are those who might say, well, if you get two pieces or two sets of 10,000s uh, and 10,000, you have 10,000 plus 10,000 is how many? 
20,000. Two sets of 20,000, how many do you have? You have 40,000, which is a number that is easier, easier to, to manage and conceive of. When it comes to these events, perhaps uh, these numbers could represent something much bigger than 40,000. So let's look at thousand, thousand. It's the same Greek word, but you notice it's different in how it is parsed or used in the actual passage. The first instance of thousand, right? It is used, the, the word milias uh, is used as an adjective nominative. And the second instance, it is used as an adjective genitive. You might be saying, what's the difference between nominative and genitive. When it's used as nominative, it means the Greek mean adjective uh, is the subject of the sentence. It's more of the main subject of the 2,000,000. And when you look at uh, the genitive case, it simply means it is the adjective that will modify, that will quantify or describe the main adjective. The main adjective in this instance is of course the one that is nominative. And so the genitive 1000,000 or the genitive 10,000 is describing the first instance of 10,000. So what we have is the literally the phrase, it means two 10,000s of 10,000s, right? Which means 10,000s uh, 10, of 10,000s is 10,000 times 10,000. And if you use your calculator, what do you get? You get 100 million. And so you get two sets of 100 million, and that is 200 million. And so this is how people come up with that vast number. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of um, military personnel, 200 million. However, if you noticed the definition of myriad, the Greek word that we use, not only does it mean 10,000, it can also mean indefinite number or an innumerable number, which makes sense. And so it could be an idiomatic expression telling us that it's not really a specific number, but a very big number, not minuscule, not few, but a very big number innumerable in multitude. So that's one other interpretation. And so when we look at this event, it will involve an army of horsemen with 200 million military personnel. That's many people. Now, there are those who will say, well, how can they all be assembled in one area if it's that many people? If you notice in the Holy Scriptures, the Apostle John does not see this in his vision. It's something that he hears. He doesn't see the 200 million. He hears it, right? And so what this suggests is the 200 million military personnel are not going to be all assembled at the same time in some specific place, but it could represent the military personnel of all the countries involved in this war. And so when you tabulate all the military people in all the nations involved in the war, you hear the number and the number is about 200 million or a vast number of people in this army. Uh, coincidentally, 
or maybe not so coincidentally, uh, back in May 21, 1965, there was an article in, China, in, in, in Time Magazine. And in this article, it tells us that Red China is boasting that they have 200 million in their militia. That's amazing, 200 million. And that was back in 1965. Today, um, China has grown considerably. The population of the world has grown considerably. And so it's not inconceivable to compute the military people of all the nations of the world and come up with a vast number like 200 million. So now, during our age today, it is very possible to have a war take place where the nations involved in the war will be backed up by military. And if you add all of them up, it will compute to 200, and 200 million. So it's possible today. It may not have been possible back then, but it's certainly possible today. Certainly it was not possible in World War I, not World War II, but in this world war, it is certainly possible. However, what is frightening to know about this event is how many people are gonna be killed, the casualties of this war. It says it will kill a third of mankind. In other translations, it says it will kill the third of men. Let's look at the Greek of uh, this uh, passage. Mankind, it uses the main word anthropos 444, which means human being, whether male or female. Right, and so when it says man, it's not just the male, but the male and the female. But what's interesting in this Greek phrase, mankind, is what is missing in the translation in our English uh, renditions of the Bible. In our English translations of the Bible, it just says mankind. But when you look at the Greek, it actually contains the definite article. What does that mean? It means not just mankind, but the mankind. And so what this tells us is it could have other possibilities. If there was no definite article in, in front of Anthropos, if there was no definite article in front of mankind, then there's only one conclusion. It's one third of the whole world's population. But because it has the definite article, we have some possibilities. What are three possibilities? Number one, one third of the population of the whole world, okay? Another one, one-third of the population of the nations involved in the war, or one-third of the army involved in the war, one-third of 200 million people is about 66.67 million people. And of course, no person exists as 0.67. <laughs> so let's round that off to 67 million uh, people, right? And so if you notice uh, the trumpets one and two and six death tolls, trumpet one, According to history, well, they suffered a casualty of 21 million. And just so happens during World War I, more civilians died than actual soldiers. World War II, about 50 million people died. Trumpet Six event, well, about 67 million people died. And so we can see that World War I, 21 million, World War II, 50 million. And so we can conclude this event that will take place at the Sixth Trumpet will have more casualties in the first two world wars, which leads us to conclude, well, this war must be worldwide in scope because of the death toll uh, suggested by one third of 200 million who will participate in the war. And so we believe it's a worldwide event. It's a world war. 
and it will center around Euphrates or the nations associated with Euphrates. And this can include so many wars. So it is started by those nations around Euphrates, but it will include eventually, I believe, many nations throughout the entire world. What else uh, do we know about this war? Well, let's go back to Revelation 9, 15 and 16. It says, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. There are two ways to understand this passage. There are some who say, well, what is prepared is the hour, day, month, and year representing the start of when this war is going to take place. And so the start time of this war event is already foretold by Yahuwah Abba up to the, uh, up to the day. And so it's very specific concerning what date it's going to begin. We're not surprised that Yahuwah was able to do that because after all, he is eternal. However, another interpretation could be that the one hour, one day, one month, and one year represents the duration of the war. And so we have the one year, one month, one day, one hour could refer to either the start point of the war or the duration of the war. And so when we think about the duration of the wars in World War I, it took about four years. World War II took about six years. The trumpet six event, if the one day, one year, one month, one, uh, was it hour? If that represents the duration, then it could be one year, exactly that, 13 months, right? One day and one hour. And so that could be the duration of World War number three. And so we're not surprised that the span of time for the Trumpet Six event, World War III, World War III to take place is about, is a lot less than the first two wars because by this time, their weapons are a lot more sophisticated and of course can bring a lot more damage. Perhaps it begins with conventional warfare and then it advances using their heavy superpowered weapons and to end the war quicker than what it took uh, to end the war in World War I and World War Number Two. Now, who will participate in this war? In Revelation 9, 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and other mounts came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And so the Bible says in the vision of the Apostle John, he sees breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And so the nations who will participate in this war, or perhaps maybe the major players of this war, will involve breastplates of red, blue, and yellow. There are two possibilities. It could be one breastplate of three different colors, right? Or three, di uh, three different breastplates of different colors, right? So it could be one nation or a combination of nations. Now, remember, in war, colors are part of what identifies the army or nation participating in the war as colors are incorporated in the designs of flags, armor, and weaponry. So if we take a look at the flags of the world and look for blue, red, and yellow, right? Let's look at these flags and see if we can spot one that has all three colors. Is that okay? 
let's take a look at these flags. And do you notice any nations that has all three of the colors, blue, the red, the yellow? Well, I see one here, Chad, Colombia. Now it doesn't strike any fear in your hearts when you mention those countries, right? Chad, Colombia. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be a global threats anytime soon, right? I don't even know if they're considered superpowers as far as military is concerned, but I don't know. I don't, I just don't feel that Chad and Colombia are going to be main participants in this war. And so maybe the colors mentioned in the Holy Bible is indicative of many nations and not just one nation, right? And so when we look at the colors in the Olympics, remember, when they have the Olympics, they have all, they have five different colors. You got the blue, the yellow, the green, the red, and the black, right? Well, what did that represent? Well, according to this article back in 1950, there was a reason behind those colors. The modern association of each color with a continent dates back to the 1950 edition of the IOCs in which it stated these rings represent the five continents. Blue for Europe, yellow for Asia, black for Africa, uh, green for Australia, and red for America. And so when we look at the colors that we're looking at, the blue, the yellow, the red, the blue represents Europe, yellow represents Asia, and red represents America. So these represent the major players uh, involved in this war, America, Asia, and Europe, which makes kind of sense. In Europe, of course, we have Russia included there, right? So we have all these major nations represented by these colors, and it covers Europe, Asia, and America. And it doesn't mean, however, that they're the only nations who are going to participate. I mean, conceivably, Australia and nations in Africa are also going to participate in the war. It's really fascinating, though, when you think about the colors of the flags of Russia and China, because the combination of Russia and China depict the colors of the breastplates in Revelation 9. Right? You get look at Russia, it is what blue and red and white. China, it is that red and that yellow. So when you combine Russia and China together, it really re is, is represented well by the colors mentioned in the breastplates in Revelation 9, verse 17. And so they could be the main players when it comes to the war that is going to be the fulfillment of the sixth trumpet. Now, what kind of weapons will be used? Well, in the vision of the Apostle John, he mentions horses. And when you think of a horse, you're not really frightened at all. But of course, these horses are not regular horses. These horses are powerful weaponry. And these horses are represented by heads. That's where the power comes from, the heads of the horses because in the head of the horse comes a mouth. And out of their mouth, the Bible says, will come forth fire, smoke, and brimstone. Fire and smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. Ordinary horses do not have fire and smoke and brimstone coming out of their mouth. So the Apostle John is not speaking about literal horses that we know today. These are unique horses. They're not really horses at all, 
they're just described as horses because Apostle John would not know what words to attach to what he's looking at, which will take place in the future, right? And so these weaponry will not be invented yet. And so he describes them as horses and they have heads and out of their mouths come fire, smoke, brimstone, and out of their mouths will bring much uh, power that will destroy because there's power in the mouth of the horse, right? And this power is going to bring harm to the people of the world. And how will it bring harm to the people of the world? Out of the mouth will come fire, smoke, and brimstone. And you notice fire, smoke, and brimstone, when you count it, how many is that? Three, right? This is why in verse 18, they're called plagues. These three plagues, fire, smoke, and brimstone, which come from these horses who have mounts, right? It will be what is going to bring the killing of man, mankind. And so it's very powerful. This is why we need to look closely at this kind of weaponry. And when we look at verse 19, it says the power is in their mouth and in their tails. And so you notice something about the mouth. The mouth in verse 19 is singular. Notice that? But the tails is plural. And so this tells us in the horse, one mouth, uh, there are multiple tails that can come out of the mouth. Remember, the mouth and the tails have power. Power to do what? Power to bring harm upon mankind. One mouth, out of it can come multiple tails. And so many tails can come out of one mouth with fire, smoke, and brimstone, and power to destroy a third of the population. I don't know if you can kind of gain a visual of what the Apostle John is looking into. And so there's one opening. Out of that opening comes tails. And these tails are likened to serpents. What do you notice about serpents? They slither, right? They don't, they don't go from one point to the next in one line. They kind of slither, right? It can be guided. It can be moving. And so when you're thinking of these kinds of weapons, their tails are like serpents, and it, they have heads. When it says it has heads, what does that suggest? It has intelligence. The tails having heads. The tails perhaps could be missiles, right? And the missiles will have heads. And because they have heads, they can maneuver across the sky. That is uh, emblematic of serpents, which is they can go uh, following different routes. It's not one straight line. And so that's very interesting because the prophet Jeremiah speaks about modern weaponry. In Jeremiah 15, the verses 9, before we leave Revelation 9 for a while, because we're going to jump at the tails that are like serpents having heads. Before we leave this, we're going to look at the Bible and ask ourselves, are there other places in the Bible that describe weaponry that can be used in the modern war? Let's look at Jeremiah 15, the verses 9. For behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. Their arrow shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain. So in this prophecy, the Bible mentions in a future war, 
there's going to be an assembly of great nations from the North country. Could this be the country of Magog or present day Russia? It could be, and it will involve not just Russia, but an assembly of great nations. Maybe they will ally themselves with other nations. And when this war takes place, what are they going to use? Arrows, arrows, which are not ordinary arrows, arrows that are like those of an expert warrior. In other words, these, these arrows are effective, so effective, none shall return in vain. Now, when we look at the word arrow and look at the Hebrew word for arrow, what is used is the Hebrew word hes, H2671, which of course is simply arrow, dart, shaft, staff, wound. However, when we look at the Greek equivalent of arrow, and when the Septuagint was published, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when it was published, the Greek word used was the following. Belos, which means a missile, dart, javelin, or arrow. So when we look at Jeremiah 50 verse 9, speaking about a modern war, a war that will take place during the end times, it is actually describing arrows as missiles. Missiles, which are like expert warriors. Now, the Hebrew word for expert warrior is the Hebrew word 7919, sakal, which means intelligent, expert, one that has understanding, one that is guided wittingly. What do you call something that is not human, that is machine-based, but they're experts, intelligent, understanding, and are able to guide wittingly. We call that AI, right? Artificial intelligence. So we have missiles that are operating with intelligence, artificial intelligence, like expert warriors. Because there is artificial intelligence in these missiles, well, they're going to be effective. That's why it says none shall return in vain. So Jeremiah is actually describing for us uh, missiles which are so sophisticated because they have built-in AI in them, they're going to be very precise in their targets, very destructive in what they're able to do, and so it can put an end to a war really quickly. So the Bible has prophesied about the use of AI-guided missiles, smart missiles, or smart weapons. And so when we look at uh, Apostle John's description of this event, what will come out of the mouths of these lions are tails with heads, intelligence, and it will spew forth fire, smoke, and brimstone. And so fire and smoke is what he sees when it comes out of the mouth. Brimstone is what he sees after it has hit its target, right? So by fire, smoke, and brimstone, Apostle John sees the entire trajectory from the missile leaving the mouth to hitting its target, the brimstone. And so he sees all of this, and he says, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. This is why we believe the sixth trumpet event is a future world war. We don't believe it's happened already, because I don't know of any event where you have 200 million military people who are ready to fight war. 
I don't know of any event like that. I mean, that's unprecedented. But of course, we don't really know until it happens, right? And so it could be anything. Trumpet sex could be anything. It could not be war at all. But I believe it's war because it uses the words describing war. You got the breastplate. You got the horses. You got the army, right? You got the troops. You got the killing. And so more like, most likely, it is representing a war event. What kind of war event? Well, it should be a world war event. So perhaps it's something being set up now, right? I mean, with Russia and Ukraine, with China, and the merchant of, what is that? Merchant of death, right? <laughs> merchant of death released, and he's going to find his way back to Russia. Who knows what's going to happen next, right? And so we can just watch as Apollyon or Abaddon and other evil entities that bring about destruction, all we can do really is wait and see and see what happens. We know something destructive is going to take place when the sixth trumpet blows. However, what is more important than knowing what event that represents is what we need to do in response to that event, right? Because no matter what event uh, this is talking about, what is more important than that specific event is what Yahuwah wants to see in us. This is why Revelation 9, 20 to 21 was included. Apostle John not only describes where it might take place, not only describes weapons that will be used, countries involved, he also tells us the purpose, why Yahuwah allows all of this to happen in the first place. Revelation 9, 20 to 21, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So we know Yahuwah's purpose and why he permitted these destructive events to take place, beginning from trumpet one, all the way to trumpet number six. What is Yahuwah's purpose? It is because he wants us to repent. But you notice what Yahuwah said? You notice what the Apostle John wrote? Apostle John said, despite the destruction that took place, the people did not repent of their works. And the Bible talks about two categories of works that Yahuwah wants people to be repentant of. What are they? First category is not worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. And so this represents idolatry. When people worship false gods, not only do they worship false gods, they worship man. They worship their ability. They worship their wisdom, their gold, and their silver. And so it's basically what this is talking about is a rejection of Yahuwah. When man wants to be independent from who? Yahuwah, right? And so instead of worshiping Yahuwah, they worship themselves, they worship money, they worship gold, they worship their power. That's what we find in the world today. And not only do they worship their power and their gold, not only do they want to be independent from Yahuwah, not only are they guilty of idolatry, Bible says Yahuwah wants them to repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. What does that represent? 
represents immorality, the sins of the flesh. If you put these two together, the first category and the second category, put them together, what do you have? Is it not that the Ten Commandments, right? The first part represents idolatry. And the first part of the Ten Commandments tells us to make Yahuwah priority in our life, to worship him, to remove idols, to live in dependence of him, not independent of him. And the last part of the Ten Commandments represents our relationship with our fellow man, right? And so Yahuwah expects that the people of the world will honor the commandments that he gave, that we will make priority worshiping Yahuwah, not an idol, not our own selves, but to worship Yahuwah in spirit and in truth. Not only that, we are also to do good to our fellow human beings. And so really what Yahuwah wants us to do is to repent. And after we repent, to do what he wants. What is that? The two things that the, our King Yahusha said. We are to love who? Yahuwah with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so Apostle, Apostle John saw that the people of the world disregarded that. And even after these events take place, they continue to disregard that. And so what Yahuwah wants from all of us, brothers and sisters in the faith, even before this sixth trumpet event takes place, there's something he wants us to do. Let's read Romans 2, 4 to 5. Or perhaps you despise his great kindness, tolerance, and patience. Surely you know that God is kind because he is trying to lead you to repent. But you have heard, but you have a hard and stubborn heart. And so you are making your own punishment even greater on the day when God's anger and righteous judgments will be revealed. And so the Bible is telling us, well, we still have the opportunity. We have our sound mind, right? We have the opportunity to receive the teachings of Yahuwah Abba. While we still can, Yahuwah wants us to repent. When we ignore Yahuwah, when we ignore his commandments, and nothing bad happens, we should not say to ourselves, look, I'm still good. I have a job. I'm, I'm strong and healthy. I have my family. I'm good. Wait a minute. We should not think that God's kindness, tolerance, and patience should be abused. Instead, we should see that as an opportunity to repent. Brothers and sisters in the faith, let us examine ourselves and ask ourselves if we are really committed to Yahuwah. If we really are worshiping him, or are we just following a ritual? We're not putting our mind and heart in our worship. If that is the case, the Bible says, Yahuwah's trying to lead us to repent. Why do you think Yahuwah allows destruction to take place, the economy to fall, a pandemic to hit, climactic disasters to take place? Why does Yahuwah allow all of this to happen? The Bible says he's trying to lead us to repent. But if we remain stubborn, if we ignore the signs, if we ignore the message, and we do not repent and return to Yahuwah, the Bible says we're making our own punishment even greater on the day when God's anger and righteous judgments will be revealed. Brethren, now is the time. 
to really look at our life, examine ourselves, and return to Yahuwah because we have the opportunity to do that still. Soon, the sixth trumpet will blow. There's going to be vast destruction. Who knows how many of us will be around? But for sure, there will be people who will remain alive. Bible says those who remain alive, they still keep ignoring the repentance that Jehovah God wants from them. However, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. I shall not, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Here the prophet Isaiah tells us that the word of Abba is powerful. When Yahuwah sends a word from his mouth, it will not come void or it will not return void. When Yahuwah gives his word about what's going to happen in the future, like what's going to happen during the sixth trumpet event, what does that mean? It means his purpose and intent will bear fruit. Yes, the Bible tells us, Apostle John writes in the book of Revelation that there will be people who still do not repent. But there will be people who will. There will be some people who will look at the events of the sixth trumpet and they will repent. They will want to know what to do next. And when that happens, we have to be ready. We, the assembly of Yahusha, we need to be ready because that's a day of harvest. When the sixth trumpet event takes place, many people, maybe not many, but some people are going to be asking the existential questions. What is the purpose of my life? Is life here on earth all that there is? What do I need to do? When they begin to ask those questions, we, the assembly of Yahusha, we must be ready to harvest. We must be ready to proclaim and be a witness of Yahuwah and Yahusha. This is why our King Yahusha tells us, you are like light for the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on the lampstand. Word gives light for everyone in the house. In the same way, you, your light must shine before people so that they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. When the sixth trumpet event takes place, vast destruction is going to kill many, many people. There's going to be great darkness on the face of the earth. Many people will want to know what to do next. They're going to look for something to hope in. May it be that what they see is the light of Yahuwah, the light of his word. How can we get people to see that light? Our King Yahushua says, you are like the light for the whole world. So we have to be ready to give a testimony. This is why the assembly of Yahushua were preparing for this event. Because we know many people are going to be asking those questions. And so we'll be taking some time to develop the discipleship program. So we can know how we can be effective lights of the earth. So that when the time comes, when we are called upon to shine brightly before men, we will be effective in bringing many people to return to Yahuwah. And what will we do when we become lights of the world? What should be the purpose of the light that we give to the world? Where should we lead the people to? Let's read the final passage of our studies today in the book of 1 Peter 2.25. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now 
you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Yes, our King Yahushua tells us we're like light. And light is most needed when there's darkness. There's going to be darkness that will engulf the whole world. As a matter of fact, it's already doing that as we speak. The whole world is cloaked in darkness. It's going to get even darker when the sixth trumpet event begins to take place. And so when there is darkness, what humanity needs more than anything, the light. We must be that light. But when we present that light, it should focus on the shepherd. Who is that shepherd? Our King Yahushua, right? Why must we lead people to Yahushua, our shepherd? Because he's the guardian of our souls. There's no other guardian of our souls appointed by Yahuwah, except for our King Yahushua. And so the purpose of the light that we bring out, the purpose of the word of Yahuwah is to bring people to Yahushua. That's what we do in the assembly of Yahushua. That's our purpose. And so when disasters take place in the world, for us, it's an opportunity to share our faith so that more and more people will go to our shepherd and receive the salvation that he promises so that we can all receive life everlasting. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and merciful Abba in heaven, thank you so much, gracious Yahuwah, for blessing us with hope. The world indeed is engulfed in darkness. Many people contemplate harming each other. Father, there's many, many works that bring pain and suffering in the hearts of people all over the world. Not only is there a pandemic or sickness, there's also chaos, economic demise, poverty, hardship, disasters, natural and man-made. We are also on the brink of war that may escalate into World War III. Father, we are not surprised because we know the spirit of darkness is at work. Loving Abba, you are our light. And we see through the power of your holy words that there is hope. That is what we want all people to know. Use us, please, as your instruments that we may bear witness to your truth. We may bear witness to your son, Yahushua, our King Yahushua. May you please be with us when times come, when we feel afraid. May you be in us, walk into our life, that we may be courageous, that we may be faithful to you. Help us to do our best, that we may not fail you. Instead, we will be able to bring many people to you, our shepherd, our guardian of our soul. Father, please bless our loved ones. While there is still an opportunity, may you move their hearts and their minds that they'll be open to listening to your holy commandments and receive your promised salvation. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers, for we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.